Good morning. I trust you all doing well. Yeah. 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 Going once, going twice. All right. You're all good. I know the Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. So it's good to turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians this morning, chapter one. We've been, uh, Starting to go through, uh, the book, uh, we have, uh, not made much progress through chapter one, uh, just because, uh, once you get into, uh, the first chapter, it just, uh, immediately starts, uh, getting pretty, uh, thick and in depth with, um, uh, doctrine, with application, with, uh, biblical uh, principles, uh, all of the things that we as Christians need to learn and to understand. And uh, as we got through somewhere around uh, verse 10 last week where we were talking about walking worthy, saw some instances of what it means to walk worthy, what that worthy walk is about and, and why that's necessary. But uh, what we're going to take a look at here um, is, uh, again, kind of talking about that increasing in knowing God. And again, this is, this is the prayer. This is the, the mindset of Paul and what Paul is desiring for these believers. Now remember, he's never met these believers. These are ones that, uh, uh, was from a church that Epaphras was, was, uh, uh, involved in trying to get that one, uh, going. These are believers that have uh, never met Paul but understand who Paul is because of Epaphras. And, and we saw that fruit and how that was being born through all of them, uh, you know, starting coming from obviously, you know, Jesus Christ and then Paul. And then we go to uh, Epaphras and then Epaphras, this church. And as we, we, we see that, we, we begin to understand that there is a biblical principle that God is uh, instituting in our Christian life, and that biblical principle in our Christian life is this, is that we as believers would also be uh, walking worthy, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that we would increase in the knowledge of him, that we would have these things that, that, that Paul is talking about. And let's uh, take a look at chapter 1 here. Um, in verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that, uh, to desire that you might be filled with the uh, knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, uh, and all patience, um, and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. And we'll stop there. But uh, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get going with the lesson this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for the blessings that we can uh, just meet here, the blessings to come around your word, and again, Lord, the blessings of your Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us. We just pray that this morning our hearts would be tender, soft, yielded, ready to receive what you have for us from the word. That, Lord, we would uh, be Christians that exemplify uh, what you want in our lives, your will and your glory and your praise. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just give me strength this morning, clarity of mind, 
that all of this will be pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we left off right there in verse 10, and we got through talking about uh, um, walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And uh, um, and we're going to talk a little bit here about this next part, which is fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is this is an important thing that we as believers have to begin to understand is that God has a desire uh, that we would be fruitful. Uh, there is, uh, um, you know, when we start talking about fruitfulness, there are many passages that God relays to us that this is the desire. We go back to the parable of the sower and the seed, and the seed that received the good, or the the the, the excuse me, the ground that received the seed that was a, a good ground. It was prepared, it was ready, and it was intended to produce that. It brought forth seed. It brought forth something. And when we begin to realize that, uh, again, it's not about the, the quantity of what God wants. It's about its, its consistency. It's about the quality of it. It's about what it is that is put into it. So we begin to look at the intent behind it. Because there's a lot of people you can produce a lot of fruit very quickly. It just doesn't, it just doesn't taste good. It just doesn't look good. It just isn't good for much. You know, in this day and age, we've got all of these uh, uh, genetically modified uh, ingredients that are out there. And the idea is to be able to withstand disease. The idea is to be able to withstand uh, uh, pests. The idea is to be able to produce more fruit or more product um, uh, per seed and so on and so forth. Uh, and, 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 and you run into issues because you start, you know, messing around with some stuff that you shouldn't be messing around with. And it creates some problems and creates uh, some uh, uh, interesting uh, type of uh, food that's out there. But that being said, uh, when we think about what the desire is, the desire is they want to produce more fruit, more fruit, more fruit, more fruit. And God has given us a plan of how to produce more fruit in our life. And and if we go back to the the, the quantity issue... We know that over there that the Lord was talking about in that passage that he said some are going to produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Not everybody's going to produce the same amount of fruit, but it's going to be the same type of fruit. Uh, if you go again to the book of John, he says that he is the vine and we are the branches, meaning that uh, we, as part of that vine, are going to be uh, yielding whatever his will is. If we're abiding in Christ and we are abiding in him, our, our desires are going to be his desires. His will is going to be our will. And the end result is we will produce the fruit that he wants. And, and we understand what the fruit is that he wants. That's the fruit of the spirit. That fruit of the Spirit is, is an amazing fruit in all that it contains. All of the, uh, the, the components of it and how that fruit is used is just kind of the same way that any other kind of fruit that out, the, out there is used to produce um, various different products of uh, food that's beneficial to us, nutrients, all of those elements that are just kind of tied up in there are there for the purpose of growing something specifically us, our bodies. 
helping us uh, keep things in check, helping us keep things in in uh, uh, in, in line as far as our our body and, and what we need and and all of these specific uh, a, a, again ingredients that are intended to make our body function the way it's supposed to. And when we start realizing that there's this progress that we see throughout this, uh, that Paul's desire here is, you know, obviously to be filled with the knowledge of his will, to walk worthy, and then we're talking about uh, walking worthy of the Lord here, and then we do it with all the pleasing that he's uh, he's indicating here, we're talking about being fruitful. We're talking about this desire to be fruitful. If you take a look at 1 Corinthians 3, it makes it clear that uh, that we are going to be judged. It's going to be revealed by fire. Uh, Turn over there, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And, and, and I want to point this out that, uh, um, in, in verse six, God, uh, God points this out with, with Paul here. He says, I have planted, Paul is watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the increase. See, if we're increasing in the knowledge of God's will, that increase is going to come from the Lord. Remember what Paul said to Timothy. He said, there are some that suppose that gain is godliness. That gain is godliness. There are some people that are out there and they think that if you get a raise at your job and, you know, you get all of this and you get all of that and you get all of these physical things, these worldly things, that you are somehow godly in your life. Well, that's not necessarily the case because again, we're not talking about spiritual thing or physical things. We're talking about spiritual things. Godliness is a spiritual component. The Pharisees in the nation of Israel messed that up, but they thought it was more physical. We live in a world that thinks it's physical, but as Christians, we should realize it's not physical. It's spiritual. Spiritual should dictate what the physical does. And what happens in our physical life. But the idea behind it is, is that they were all messed up and they thought that the increase was coming about because of what they were doing. Not what God was doing, but what they were doing. And, and this is that changed, transformed mindset, if you will, where we as, as Christians have to sit down and, and, and realize that. We have to say, oh, hey, this is all about God. Any increase that I get, anything that that, uh, that comes about in in my life that is good and is pleasant, those things we need to understand that God's the one that's giving the increase. People out there are you know they'll they'll strive for so much stuff, they'll strive and they'll strive and strive. And look, we should always strive to do a good job at work. We should always strive to 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 be that person that uh, um, wants to. Um, uh, you know, please our employers because we're trying to please God with this. If we're doing the best for the Lord, then our employers are going to see that. And, and look, here, here, here's part of some of the problem that we run in today. You know, there's all this discussion about uh, people, um, you know, where, where's the missing numbers in the job force? Where'd they all go? 
Well, I'll tell you this. There, there's, a, there's a lot of them that just, you know, again, sitting at home, not doing anything. There's a lot of them that have left the workforce and retired. And let's just be, be, be honest about this. Uh, we are producing less and less children than we were, say, 20 years ago. So if there's less and less people that are being produced, then what happens? Well, the end result is you're going to have less and less workers. So enter the age of robotics, right? And this is the big push now, is how can we get everybody to agree that robotics are the best way of manufacturing everything? I mean, good grief, they've got robotic pizza kiosks. I'm not kidding you, robotic pizza kiosks. You can go and you spend something like $10,000 on this kiosk. You put it in an airport. You put it in a mall, whatever it is. You put all the ingredients inside of it that it needs. And this thing will make a pizza for a person. They just put in their money and out pops a pizza. You, you don't even have, you don't even need somebody anymore to, to, to do that. Robot does it. Same with, uh, you know, the smoothies and boba drinks and all those things that are so popular nowadays. They've got kiosks for them. You, there's nobody inside of it. You just walk up to it. You plug your money in there and out, you know, just like a vending machine, here comes your drink. You actually get to watch it being made as this robot makes it for you. We understand that there's all these things and people are talking about, well, that's, that's working smarter, that's working smarter. Okay, I, I get that, but we live in a day and age where people just don't want to work. We've got this whole term out there now called quiet quitting. How many of you heard of quiet quitting? It's just, I'm not going to do any more of my job than is required of me. I'm going to follow my job duties and my tasks to the letter and no more than that. I will not go above and beyond. I will just simply do. Why? Because I'm not getting appreciated enough. Let's just be honest about that. That's a little prideful. It's a little prideful. Well, well, I'm not getting paid to. I understand that. You're not getting paid to stay late. I get that. You, you know, I, I, and I'm not talking about employer abuse. All right. Let's just make it clear. I'm not talking about employer abuse, but what I am talking about is, are we doing it for the Lord? Because again, isn't the Lord going to handle that? Isn't he the one that handles the increase? Isn't he the one that handles promotion? It all comes from him. So we've got to, we've got to have that mindset. We've got to have that understanding when we start thinking about this. But there in verse six it says, "But God gave the increase." So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. It all comes back to Him. The farmer is the one that just puts stuff in the ground. He doesn't go out there with the seed and 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 cause it to do anything. The seed does what the seed does because of what God is has done with that seed. Because of his creation, because of his will. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labors, uh, labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So the first part, the first part of this, this, this passage, he starts talking about it in, if you will, an agricultural manner, and then he moves on to a construction mentality. But here, I want to point this out. He says, every man's going to receive according to his reward. 
or receive his reward according to his own labor. What do we put into that? Are we seeking to be fruitful? Do, do, do we even know how much fruit is being produced off of our limbs? These are, these are all questions that, that, that we have to begin to ask ourselves when we start looking at Colossians and we start asking, okay, well, am I producing fruit? Am I a 30-fold, a 60-fold, or a 100-fold? Not necessarily trying to quantify things. You know, there's some people that go out there and they count how many times they've read the Bible or how many people they've won to the Lord and things like that. Okay, I understand the concept behind it is that they want to be able to, to, to keep track of those things. But at some point, it's like, wouldn't you just rather get to the point of where you're just reading the, the, the Bible to not put down a tick mark? Wouldn't you just rather witness to somebody just so you, you that they can be saved, just ignoring the fact that you go home and put down somebody else? Because again, who's it about? Well, you're not the one doing the conversion. You're not the one that's doing the saving. That's God. We're, we're just the tool. Do you think your hammer sits there and, and counts how many nails it's hit? <laughs> your, 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 your wrench, how many, how many nuts it's turned? No. <laughs> You know, and again, I hate to, to, to use that in some sort of inanimate object type mentality, but again, the praise belongs to God. We're, we're laborers with Him, but it's His farm. We're laborers with Him, but it's His orchard, it's His vine, it, it, it's His vineyard. But still, we have to take a look at it and go, am I pleasing God with this? If I, if I know his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and I'm walking worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, then I am going to be fruitful. Then I'm going to be fruitful. You can't help but be fruitful, especially if you're in the will of God. If you're outside the will of God, there's not much fruit that's being yielded unto him. It might be just something else, but it's not unto God. Go back over there to that passage, and it says, being uh, in uh, Colossians chapter one verse ten, it says, "Being fruitful in every good work." Now, there's a lot of parallels between th- between these these books that we see here in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. There's a lot of same phrases. There's a lot of similar uh, mindsets. There's a lot of similar principles that are there. And when we think about good works, we immediately should think about what we're going back to in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We know what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say, about, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then it goes into, we are his workmanship. Take a look at that in Ephesians 2.10, and, and, and look at this concept. Look at what God's teaching us here in Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That means he's created us the way that we want that he wants us to be. He's given us what we need to accomplish this. He's the one that's guiding us into this direction. 
And here he is, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So let's think about this for a second. Now he's saying, I want you to be fruitful in every good work. You know, there's a lot of times that we do some work and it doesn't produce any results. It's not fruitful, is it? You ever feel like you, you, you just don't get anywhere sometimes in a job? You do it and 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 it just seems like you're just spinning your wheels. We call that project management. <laughs> Teamwork, right? <clears throat> you go to one team and you say, okay, where are we with this? And they just kind of give you that blank stare in the meeting. Wait, I was supposed to do something? Or, or you're in the middle of the, the project and then the entire team dynamic changes because of attrition or because of, uh, of, you know, terminations. And then what do you have to do? Start the project all over again. And you just, you just sit there and you're like, uh, what am I doing? Are you just banging my head on the, the, the desk? You know, it just doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. Sometimes it seems unfruitful. But I will tell you this, when we are looking at what we do and our works are good and good according to God, okay? And when we talk about good works, we have to understand what good works are. Good works are works that are holy, that are righteous, that are pure. They exhibit godliness and they exhibit praise and glory to God. That is what a good work is. If it doesn't meet any of those requirements in any form, then it's not a good work. I'll give you an example. Again, going back to it. Was it a good work to take the ark to Shiloh with David? Absolutely, right? It was a good idea. It was the right thing to do. But was the actual implementation of the project good? No. It ended in disaster. You know, as they say, everything's all fun and games until there's a dead body. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, what do we do with this? Now what? That just kind of immediately dampened the mood. Can you imagine, you know, here's David and he's all excited about it. And they, oh yeah, everybody's singing, you know, and they're you know, bringing the ark along. And then Uzziah's like, oh man, it's going to fall. <coughs> He's dead. And everybody just kind of turns around and looks and like, what, what, what happened? And it just, you know, the music stops, the band kind of winds down. Everybody just kind of turns and looks at David. And he's like, what? <laughs> what now? And then he goes and gets angry at God. Come on. It was a good idea, but the follow-through was not good. When they brought it back the next time, they did it the way that God told them to do it. And it was blessed. Why? Because it was according to God's will. It was according to God's will. This is what we as believers have to understand. It's according to God's will. That's what makes things good. 
And here he is. He's saying, look, you know, I, I, I've created you in Christ Jesus. We're a new creature, right? We've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Bible says we're a new creature. All things have passed away, right? All, all things have become new. Okay, so we, we grasp that concept. We then move into this idea that we are his workmanship. He's created us the way he wants us. He's given us the talents and the abilities that we have for the purpose of glorifying and giving him praise and doing what the Lord has asked us to do in whichever role of the ministry that we are equipped to do. Not everybody's equipped to do the same things, and he talks about this later on in, the, in, in Ephesians. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not every man is called to be a pastor. Not every, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, lady is called to be a Sunday school teacher or a nursery worker or something of that nature. Some people are, are equipped for it. Others are not. It's just the way that, that God has, has created us. So as we begin to think about this in more detail about what the Lord's saying here, and we're his workmanship, he's going to give us everything that we need to accomplish this task. But it says, created in Christ Jesus unto those good works. So what we look at is, is what we as believers, when we're created in him, there was a purpose. There was a purpose. Every believer is created with a purpose to fulfill the will of God. Without, without fail, without a shadow of a doubt. That, that is beyond contestation. That is it. We are there to please God. We are there to obviously fulfill His will and His desires, not, not to do our own. So as we think about what's going on here with this, with, with, with this passage, one thing that we understand is that God is creating us to do these good works. This is what we are ordained unto, meaning that before the world was even created, God said, Ken Stewart's going to do this. This is what I want him to do. This is how I want him to accomplish my will. This is the, the, the purpose behind what I'm doing. All of these things, we realize that he's ordained, saying, look, this is what I, I want people to do. Once they get saved, it's not about sitting still. It's about doing something for the Lord. It's about working. It's about laboring. It's about being fruitful. And when we're fruitful, it's in every good work. So if we are purposing in our minds knowing that we are created unto this, knowing that this is what God's ordained for us on our life, our purpose, then we must look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, very differently saying, if we're going to be fruitful in every good work, I need to make sure that I am using the right type of tools and the right type of uh, intent, the right type of, of desire and attitude, the right heart to accomplish this. Because if I don't, it's not going to be good, and it's not going to be fruitful. So we, we, we begin realizing there's, there's important aspects of what we as believers need to do with our Christian life. And as he says here, very clearly, the idea and desire is that we'll be fruitful in every good work. And then in verse 10, he says this, increasing, increasing in the knowledge of God. How much do we know about God? 
And just let's just take a moment to think about this. We don't know a lot, do we? But then at the same time, we know a considerable amount. God has purposed to reveal himself, right? Romans talks about how even the nature that we see out here reveals itself, right? Or, you know, it reveals him in itself. You know what that means? That if we actually had scientists that weren't so filled with pride in their degrees, that they would probably take a look at it and go, man alive, that's God. But we've got it on both sides of the spectrum. You got those that are lifted up with pride in what they do and those that choose not, choose to ignore things that are out there in nature and the way that God's created it and come up with something else. And the end result is, is we got people out there that just have no idea who God is. No idea who God is. And look, if we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's very clear that God wants us to know him. He wants to have that relationship. He he wants us to to, to come and to be involved in the, the conversation. It's really hard to get to know somebody if neither side talks to one another. But God clearly talks to us. He does a lot of things first, right? We love him because he first loved us. He demonstrated that love. We're to demonstrate it back. He gave us his word. Right here, complete. There's nothing outside of that. The other day I was reading some uh, a, a, a a book and there was this guy, he was... So several years ago, several decades ago, to be honest with you, he was uh, at a conference and this guy was talking, this, this guy gets up there and, and begins to talk about how, how he receives things from God. And he said, oh, I read the scriptures and then when there's something that I don't understand, I go to sleep and God reveals it to me in a dream. And this guy was like, what do you mean he reveals it to you in a dream? Oh, God, you always shows me uh, all, all, everything I need to know in dreams and visions. Okay, God has given us his complete word and everything that we need to know. Anything outside of that that's a dream and a vision? Yeah, no, that's no. <laughs> no. But that's how God talks to me. No, oh, no, no, no. Well, I can't understand what's being written there. I, I, okay, then study to show yourself approved. Don't go to bed, pop two Xanax, and hope you get a good dream. Don't work that way. Because I guarantee you, it's probably the Xanax that's giving you a vision. But, you know, again, the, the, the idea and the concept of what, what people think about the Word of God in, in its completeness People don't, again, they, they, they just don't care to know about it. And if we don't care to know about what God's word says, then we tell God, I don't care to know about you. Why? 
Because, I mean, everybody here is what they would refer to as a Trinitarian, right? We all believe that the Trinity is true. It's a, it's a, it's a biblical doctrine. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one. Turn, turn to, turn to 1 John. 1 John. First John chapter five. First John chapter five. You know, a lot of people debate about all of this and debate about you know, you know, well, this verse really wasn't there, and so on and so forth. Now, I I I, I get that, but here, here here's the important part about it. This verse is scripture. It's inspired and preserved by God. And in First John chapter five, it says here. <clears throat> In uh, verse 6, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. So John's saying, what's happening here is very truthful. What the Holy Spirit says is truthful. You know, it's sad that you have to clarify that. And what I mean by that is this. How many times uh, do, do, do other gods lie to their followers? Well, let's just be very clear about this. Humanism makes, means that you are your own god. How many times do you lie to yourself? You put that on in the morning and you go, wow, I look good. And then you go out in the world. And people are like, what are you wearing? <laughs> you thought that? Yeah, no, I, I understand societal norms and fashion and all that jazz. I, but, 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 but I just, again, how many times do we lie to ourselves? I can get away with this. God doesn't care. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I'm still going to do it anyways because, well, nothing's happened to me so far. How many times do we lie to ourselves? This is my life. Follow your heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. But here he says, this is truth. The Spirit is truthful. The Holy Spirit will always tell you the truth. And it says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They're one in verse 7. Verse 8 talks about how they agree. These two verses are very different concepts about what's going on. They're never going to disagree with each other, but verse 7 is primarily important because if that verse isn't there, then we don't understand the concept of what God's teaching us about who He is. That He Himself came down and gave himself on that cross for us. For us. He gave himself on that cross for us. When we realize that the word is flesh, as he talks about here, he's saying that they're one. You go over to John chapter 1, and again, it produces even more clarity 
with that passage in John chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, as you go down here a little bit further, he talks about in this in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. You realize the concept of what he just said? He just said in 1 John 5, 7, they're one. They are one. Now he's saying that they are one in John 1, 1. And now he's saying the word was made flesh. And if the word is God, according to those two other verses, then that means God himself gave himself. And that's, that's a key important principle. We, we, we can't dismiss that. That, that he would die for, for us, that he would be brutalized for us to provide salvation. For us, and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We begin to realize the gravity behind it. And this is why we, when we look at these passages of scripture, we realize very clearly that he just talked about himself as the word, which he has given to us, which he has preserved for us which is what we as Christians sit down and read to have him communicate to us and show us. Yeah, we we believe this word is holy and precious. I'm not talking about the pages itself because this is all material stuff. But if he says that his word is settled in heaven, it's preserved, as he talks about over in Psalm chapter 12, then I know that regardless of how many people try to burn Bibles and how many people try to restrict it, this word still gets spread. This word still gets spread. Think about it. No matter how much various religious entities try to stranglehold the things of God, and try to keep God out and keep God's word out, how does it continue to grow? Places, this is what just baffles me sometimes. United States of America, okay, we still got some freedoms. Yep, uh, just a few. (laughs) We still have religious freedom at this point in time, somewhat sort of, kind of, maybe. But, you know, we still, we're, we're meeting here, we're not fearful. You can still bring your Bible to work and read it on your break. You can, you can still talk about Jesus. There's still protections with that. We've got a lot of freedom in this country. But in the United States of America, it's not the place where there is the fastest growing churches. Places where there's fastest growing churches is where liberty, liberty in the physical form is highly restricted. Fastest growing churches used to be in China. You think China wants this book out? China still actively is against this book. China still doesn't want this read. China doesn't want to see its people get saved. China is all about China. They're communist. 
but still, China is not the place where the fastest growing churches are. Places with the fastest growing churches right now is over in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran. Now let's think about that just for a moment. Would you call those places a good place of religious freedom? No. <laughs> they find out you're a Christian, they'll kill you. They'll burn you alive. They'll throw you in to the, 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 the wild animals. They'll shoot you. They'll throw you off a building. It doesn't, they, they, trust me, they've got all sorts of ways to go about killing people. They've done this for generations. But it's like the more people try to silence it, the more it spreads. Why? Because that's the power of the Word of God. See, when we start talking about knowing who God is, how close is our relationship to him? The Bible talks about, you know, husbands knowing their wives, right? They're supposed to have an understanding. They're supposed to have a knowledge of them. Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a biblical principle. When, when we enter into relationships, we know about our friends. We know who they are. But I'll tell you this. One of the most important things that you can ever know about anybody in any relationship and any of your friendships is their testimony. Have they trusted Christ as their Savior? You should have no problem asking your friend that. And your friend should have no problem answering it. Even if they were saved out of some of the most horrible, wicked things, I'll tell you this, you can still have a a, a, uh, um, a believer say, well, I'm not going to go into the details of what I got saved out of, but I will tell you this, I am saved and on such and such day, or, or I you know, don't remember the exact day, but I went forward, I trusted Christ as my Savior, I knelt down by my bed, I prayed, I, I know that I'm a believer, I trusted Christ, and I mean, and they go through and they, they, they itemize, they detail it, and they say, yeah, and you look at it and go, praise God, they're saved. But look, it's, it, it, again, knowing God, no, excuse me, salvation is not about knowing God, because that's just an intellectual sense, assent. It's kind of like this, oh, okay, yeah, I know. Well, the Bible says that the, the devils believe and tremble. Right. And sometimes they believe that God is God more than we believe God is God, which is sad. But the, the, the point that I'm getting at is uh, how much do we really know about him? And if we're really striving to know the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and we're striving to walk worthy, and we're striving to be pleasing, and we're striving to make sure that we're fruitful in every good work, then we're going to begin to know a lot more about who God is and what he wants from us. What he likes, what he doesn't like. And we're going to find that knowledge of him in the word. And when we look at the Word of God, we begin to apply the Word of God, we begin to see the hand of God move in our life. We begin to see God orchestrating things. 
we begin to see how God uses things in our life. And I'll tell you, there, that's one of the greatest gifts that man has ever, ever, ever been given, is to be able to sit down and look at it and go, wow, that was only of God. That was only of God. Right. I was talking to a, an individual the other day, and he's... He's not a he's not a believer. I've been witnessing to him, and uh, he he he's he's very argumentative about things, and it is what it is. Uh, but he hadn't seen me in a while, and uh, I was talking to him, and and uh, told him what all went on with me and my health, and and uh, told him that uh, yeah, they initially thought it was cancer, but it's not. And and here's somebody that is an unbeliever but knows that I am. Look me in the eye and say, well, if that isn't evidence of your faith in God, I don't know what is. I almost wanted to lean forward and go, then why aren't you believing? But anyways. (laughs) But, you know, you, you just see that. You see how God works in our life, how God does things, how God protects us and cares for us. Because as we go back to to Colossians chapter, let's go back over there to Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 10, he says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In verse 11, it says, strengthened with all might. Strengthened with all might. You know, here we are looking at these six things. And we're looking at what God has intended for us to do. He has never intended for us to do this Christian life in a weak, beggarly way. I mean, he he, he talks about that with the, the, the church at Galatia. He's like, why are you going back into bondage? Why are you going back to weak, beggarly elements that, that aren't going to help you? The, the The real strength that we have is found in Christ and in Christ alone. As we saw over there in the book of Philippians, like I said, these, uh, there's many parallels between these books. Philippians 4, doesn't it say what a verse that, that, that we, hopefully many of us know? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Our strength comes from Christ. The more that we know God, the more strength we're going to have. The more that we pursue His will, the more strength that we are going to have to do it. That's generally one of the problems when people are trying to do things in their life and trying to do things in the Christian life is that they're not pursuing the will of God and then they go, I just can't seem to do it. I just can't seem to do it. And then somebody quotes that verse, well, you know, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, so obviously you don't believe. And they just get frustrated with it. No, 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 that's not the answer. If you're going to quote that verse, don't just quote it as some sort of Twitter quip and, and hopefully, you know, they'll get the point, okay? 
No, counsel them, teach them. Somebody's struggling and they're, and they're weak. Aren't we commanded to come alongside them and help them? Isn't that, isn't that the element in essence of charity? We come alongside and we, 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 we help them and they're like, I just can't seem to do it. I just can't seem to do it. Okay. Well, what is it you're trying to do? Start there. What is it you're trying to do? Well, I'm trying to do this. Is that God's will? You got to start with the basics. Start with that. And they may go, uh, I, I don't know. There's the problem. Therein lies the problem. They're struggling to do something. The question is, is it, are they, you know, are they actively seeking God's will? And I, I guarantee you, many times people aren't seeking God's will. So what do they do? They apply some form of humanism. They apply some form of what they think is some sort of social assistance and help, thinking that's going to do it, and that's going to take care of the problem. They try to fix it themselves. They go on YouTube, watch a couple of TED Talks, and they're good, right? And, 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 and the end result is they're not better than what they were. They're still struggling. They're still fighting. And it's like, okay, let's go back to the will. What is it you're trying to do, and how is it you're trying to do it? If you're trying to do it in a way that does not align with Scripture, then therein is the failure point. We have to seek the will of God. If I can do all things through Christ, then that means it's going to be done in a Christ-like manner, with a Christ-like heart, with a Christ-like mind, with Christ-like actions, and Christ-like words. And if all of those things are there, and in that, that what I'm trying to do, that all things, if that's there, then guess what is I'm able to do? I am able to accomplish God's will. And I get strength from that. I get strength from that. Again, go back over to 2 Corinthians. Take a look at 2 Corinthians. We'll end with this. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, take a look here at what he says in uh, verse 6. He says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest a man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. He's like, I, 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 it's not about me. It's not about Paul. I, I want to be put down. I'm not the next Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, or Billy Graham. In verse 7 he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And people sit there and they'll debate about verse 7 and they'll debate about what it was and they'll debate about this and debate about that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not the intent of this verse. The context, context and intent of this verse 
is, is what? Is verse 9. But look at verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That is the intent. That's what Paul's getting at. Paul is not getting about debating about what his problem was. And everybody's got their own opinion about that. And that's basically what it is. It's an opinion. And trust me, opinions are just like underwear. Eventually they get changed. They just do. They get stinky and you throw them away. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the Christ-like mentality. Didn't he submit himself in the garden in obedience to do the will of the Father? Maybe that's the issue. Maybe the problem with what we're struggling with is that we're not submitted to the will of God. But what he's saying here is, I want you to have strength. And when we are humble and we are, you know, you know, yielded to the Holy Spirit, and when we realize, no, we have no capabilities of doing this on our own, but God does, that is when we are strengthened. In his might. His might. Not mine. His might. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Uh, we'll pick up next week uh, a little bit more about this and then talking about his power and what it yields. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, that we have this time and opportunity to just uh, meet and hear from you. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to study your scriptures, no more about you from it, that, Lord, we would just increase in the knowledge of your will and that, Lord, we would be fruitful in every good work. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us, and I pray you just continue to work in our hearts and our minds uh, for the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.